What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UJ Podcast. I'm back again with me for the full show today is my man, Curtis. Uh, you guys can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can email us at GloryUJPodcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can also now check us out on Facebook. Just basically go to Facebook, type in Glory UGA Podcast. It'll come right up for you guys. So feel free to check us out there. Follow us there. Um, and guys, you know, we, we appreciate all of you out there that enjoy and support the show and uh, if you are one of those folks who does enjoy the show, at least in some small way, we would definitely appreciate if you guys would like us on Facebook. Help us spread the word any way you possibly can. Friends, family, retweeting, sharing links, things like that. Anything you can to help us spread the word would be awesome as the football season approaches. And to share uh, the, the, the links, you just click on the share button on whatever platform you're using to listen to the show. And uh, that definitely helps us out. So we do appreciate your help there. But uh, on today's show... Uh, we've got our pre-July 4th show here. Normally, obviously, we would be putting this show up on a Tuesday, but since that is the 4th of July, we fear a lot of you guys be out doing family things, barbecuing, drinking, doing whatever it is that you're going to do. Hopefully, everyone has a great time. So want to get the show up on Monday, give you guys a chance to listen to it. So this is our pre-4th of July show. Hope everyone does enjoy it today. Um, and on today's show, we are going to continue with the top five series that we started a few weeks ago. I think, what was it, Kurt, about two or three weeks ago, something like that? Yeah. yeah, and this time, though, we're going to be looking at the top five scariest or best, however you want to phrase that, offenses that we will face in the rapidly approaching 2017 season. It'll be here before we know. It seems like it's far away, but the time is passing. Um, we did the top five toughest games on the schedule the first time around a couple weeks ago. We did take a few weeks off from this series to cover a few other topics. And, of course, you know, last week we ran our June listener mailbag shows. You guys seem to enjoy those. We want to put that together for you guys. But today is all about the offenses on our 2017 schedule. And like we did on the first episode of this Top 5 series, Curtis and I came up with a combined Glory UGA ranking. Uh, now obviously it's like we can we can agree on some things and some teams, some offenses, but it's not going to be possible for us, really two, any two people, I would think, to agree on each and every team and where they should be ranked. So the way we did this was to have each one of us come up with our own individual list of the best offenses that we're going to be forced to defend in 2017 and then combine those ranks. So Curtis came up with his list. Uh, he basically ranked all the teams on our schedule based on their offenses. I ranked all the teams on our schedule based on, based on their offenses. And then we combined those rankings. Um, basically, the way it worked is whatever team was ranked number one on our individual list got 12 points since there's 12 teams on the schedule. Number two got 11 points and so on and so forth. And then after adding up those point totals for each team from each of our individual lists, it did yield our combined Glory UGA list. Admittedly, I know it does sound slightly complicated when I explain I'm probably just terrible explaining it. But in my head, it makes sense and it works out. So we're going to roll with it. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into these numbers. Again, this is the top five scariest or best, however you want to say that, offenses that we will be facing and forced to defend in the two 2017 season. We're going to start at the bottom and work our way up. And coming in at number five on our combined Glory UJ list of the scariest offense on our 2017 schedule is the Mississippi State Bizarro Dogs. All right, Kerr, I'm going to throw this one to you here. Explain to me why Mississippi State is on this list. Why do they deserve to be in the thought of as a top five offense that we're facing in 2017? Um, I think number one thing is you got to look at the teams we're facing and their offensive firepower. I mean, across the board, you know, as we get into it more, we'll see. But there's not a ton of teams that are known for their offense when you're looking at teams like Florida and some of these other places that, you know, more or less the defense carries them. Right. 
Yeah, there's, there's not yeah, a bunch uh, of juggernauts on there, that's for sure. Exactly, and I think that's one of the uh, biggest things of um, of the whole thing is, you know, just that I think their offense can be dangerous at any certain time and that they really rely on their offense to carry them more so than their defense. Okay. Uh, I mean, Nick, Nick Fisher has to have a lot to do with this, right? Yeah. And we – so a couple of weeks ago I did the uh, – we we had a scheduling snafu, or we just couldn't get on the same page to schedule that day for the for the Mississippi State scout and the enemy series. So I had to do that one solo. So you didn't get a, a, a great chance to kind of give us your take on Mississippi State and what Nick Fitzgerald brings to the table. So why is it, or what do you, what do you see Nick Fitzgerald in that Mississippi State offense that gives you a reason to believe they could be a, at least a formidable offense that we have to face this year? Um, I just think that he opens up the system. I mean, anytime you have a dual-track quarterback, it just makes that offense that much more dangerous because you have one more thing to think about. It's, you know, another read yeah. that you don't always have. And one of the things that – and what I talked – one of the things I talked about on that show, and tell me if you disagree, is one of the things that makes him the scare – because he – okay, when he gets going, yes, he's a fast dude. When he, when he gets going and gets in the open field, he can burn you and he can leave you in the dust. But it takes him a while to get going. But one of the things that I think makes him so deadly in that offense is he's a perfect fit for what Dan Mullen wants to do with his offensive football team. And he wants to go back to the days of Tebow at Florida. He was the offensive coordinator at Florida under Urban Meyer. He wants to have a big, physical guy at quarterback like a Dak Prescott, also at Mississippi State, that's an, at least an adequate passer, but can also just bowl over people. And they can run the quarterback powers. He can run zone reads when they have enough speed. Uh, Dak Prescott, I say, is a very fast guy. Tebow, solid speed. And we talked about there with. Um, with Fitzgerald, he's got good speed once he gets going. He doesn't necessarily have the great acceleration, but he he allows them to stay ahead of the change, you know, get positive yards on first and second down, whether it's him running quarterback power up the gut and falling four for three or four yards, throwing a, a run pass option out to the, you know, out to the flats, or maybe it's you, you see guys slanting across the middle and the running backs or the, the linebackers are crashing to take away the run. You just pick, you take it up and throw it there, another version of the run pass option. So he allows them to stay ahead of the chains and get positive yards on first and second down, which just – it's kind of like death by a thousand paper cuts. It's just it, – it kills you methodically, slowly but surely. It just destroys you. Is that what you see in, in that Mississippi State offense? Yeah, I mean you see it most most times, and he's the type of guy that can extend drives too. You know, if it's a third and four, third and five, he yep. can take off and get that first down. Absolutely. Absolutely can. All right, so we both had them on our list. So the, they had a combined uh, – yeah, so I had them at number five on my list. You had them at number four. We we're pretty close with uh, where we had Mississippi State ranked. But why aren't they higher? I mean, it's, it's good enough for them to be in the top five. That's respectable. But why weren't they higher on that list for you? Um, I think that there's some other teams that are just a little bit better. Um, you know, I think one team that I – the reason I put them at five is I think Tennessee, while, you know, they're not going to be that great this year, I still think that overall they will probably have a better – Offense, um, and I think that's one of the biggest things because I think the other three teams kind of speak for themselves. I, to me, it really came down to Tennessee or Mississippi State. And I but you had Mississippi State above Tennessee, right? I thought I had Mississippi State at five. Okay, maybe you did. I just looked at it wrong. Okay, so you had Mississippi. So we both had them at five. Okay, gotcha. Or I may have had them at four. I don't remember. You know, I, yeah. Well, you. I mean, four or five. It's not too far away. Would you? Okay. Let me ask you oh, right yeah, now. I had them at four, and I think that's because I'm going back to that because Tennessee lost a lot of their main weapons while they still have some receivers in the offensive line supposed to be improved they're still missing you know the big running backs and the experienced quarterbacks gonna hurt them yeah you were higher on Tennessee than I was I mean I didn't have Tennessee on my list on my top in my top five I didn't have them in there at all I think they just lost too much 
Which I can see. I just don't. There's just so many teams out there, like Florida, that has no offense. Um, App State, their offense is good for their conference, but I don't see them going up and putting up a lot of points. I think Florida. Um, Florida could be. They could be deceptively good on offense if they find. I, I don't know if they're going to hit a home run at quarterback this year. I don't think they have to. If they, if they can find solid quarterback play, they have pieces offensive. They have probably the best offensive line they've had in four or five years. They have. You know, if Antonio Callaway is in good graces, come the time the season rolls around. They have him, and then you got Tyree Cleveland that came on late for them last year as a true freshman. Jordan Scott's a good running back. DeAndre Goolsby, I think, is a solid tight end. I mean, I didn't have him in my top five either, but I think Florida could be – am I wrong in saying it could be deceptively sneaky good? Yeah, I mean, deceptively, yeah, but there's – like I'm saying, like, you know, there's not something they're known for. Right, and they're not, they're not a shoe-in top five offense that we're facing. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, Miss, why is Mississippi State not higher? Uh, for me, it just comes down to I, I really do like – Nick Fitzgerald, I think he's a very good player. When I watched him last year, I was like, oh, dude, this guy is legit. I mean, give him a couple years, he's going to be really, really good. And I kind of got sucked in. I watched him a couple times last year, specifically that game against Texas A&M. I was actually in Lexington, Kentucky at a sports bar watching that game, waiting for our game to start. Um, and he just, I mean, he tore them up. And I watched him, I watched the Egg Bowl. He destroyed Ole Miss. Him and Aries Williams just absolutely ran flat over them. So at, in any game, he can he can dominate. He absolutely can. But he's also got moments where he just he isn't very good, uh, and it's primarily in the passing game where he's a lot of inconsistencies in the passing. Game. He's he's got a skill set. He's big, tall, physical. He's got a good arm, but it's not a very accurate arm. Right now, I think he was I think he was less accurate than Jacob Eason was last year. And if you watch Jacob Eason play, which we, I know we all did, that's saying something. Um, saying he was less accurate than Eason. Uh, he didn't always make the right reason to pass the game. He would throw into quad. I've seen him throw into quadruple coverage. Like, what are you possibly thinking that's good that's going to happen in that situation? So I've seen that. Also in the run game, while he's a very deadly runner, he doesn't always make the right reads when it comes to the zone reads, trying to determine whether to hand it off to the tailback or to pull it and run. He doesn't always make those reads. He makes it sometimes, and he can kill people when he makes the read the right way. But I saw plenty of times breaking them down where he just left – plenty of yards and big plays on the field because he just made wrong reads in the running game. So that inconsistency there for me is why they're not higher in the top five. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's that's really the only reason. And they, I, I would say, that, well, not the only reason. They don't have a ton around him right now, okay? Aries Williams is a guy that came on late last season. He's also a, a physical guy that runs behind his pad level, ran all over Ole Miss again in the Egg Bowl uh, on their way to a victory there in Oxford. Uh, and then you also have uh, Fred Ross, our top receiver, is gone this year too. You got Donald Gray; he's probably gonna try to take his place, but I don't think he's a receiver that Fred Ross was last year. So I'm not uh, sold on the talent he has around him. Although he is a really good player and can can be anybody on any given day, almost single handedly. Uh, all right, let's move on to the second team on our combined Glory UGA top five offenses list here. And this is where we really begin to disagree, Curse. I'm, I'm very interested to hear your take on this one. Coming in at number four on our combined Glory UGA list of the scariest offenses on our 2017 schedule is the Notre Dame Fighting uh, Irish. I had them at number one on my list. They were not in your top five. So, Curse, what I want you to – I mean, and don't hold back, dude. Tell me. Tell me. I'm, maybe I'm wrong. But I want you to tell me, why am I so off-base on Notre Dame? I had them at number one. They weren't even in your top five. Um, I actually just completely forgot about them. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Redo yeah, here. Redo here. Where would you put them in your top five? Redo. Uh, I'd probably put them. Or who would you have out of your top five? Tennessee? I'd probably take Tennessee out of the top five and move them to number two. 
Moon Notre Dame number two? Yeah. Okay. All right, so let me do a little quick math here, guys. Math is not my forte. So you put Notre Dame in number two. All right, so that gives us uh, da, 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 four. All right. Okay. All right, that moves them up to number two. We'll come back to them. All right, so move everybody else down. All right. Come on, dude. This is – seriously? I totally just forgot about them. It's only the first game of the schedule, man. The game I've been thinking about for, like, uh, since it was announced, what, three years ago? Come on. Come on. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, all right. Um, all right. So that means moving up a spot. So coming in number four now are the South Carolina Gamecocks. Okay. We both had them at number three on our respective list. So looking at South Carolina, this is an interesting one because, I mean, we're both seem to be on the same page here, obviously. But this is a team that last year finished six and seven, was 120th nationally in both yards per play and, I'm sorry, uh, points per play, and total yards, 120th nationally. So what do you see in this South Carolina offense that gives you enough confidence in them to put them in the top three of the list of best offenses that we're going to face? Um, I just think that they're, you saw it last year coming on later in the season. You know, they had a, quite a few weapons that are really starting to come come you know, come get comfortable out there. Uh, Brian, they have Brian Edwards, Debo Samuel. Um, both really good receivers. I think especially Edwards, who was a true freshman last year, is really going to take a step forward. Um, yeah. And I think um, you're going to see it in the quarterback also. I just think that the offense um, fits the, his what he wants to run, um, and what he's comfortable in running. And um, that's why I think they're going to probably be a decent offense, especially by the time we face them. Yeah, and this is where I know a lot of you out there probably disagree with this, and that's okay. I mean, look, we're just two guys. It doesn't mean we're right. It doesn't mean we're wrong. It's just our opinion here. So, I would love to hear what you guys have to say on this one, having South Carolina number three. Because, I mean, if you look at the numbers, I understand why somebody would disagree with this here. The numbers last year were not pretty for that offense as a whole. They were, like I said, 120 nationally in points per play, which I think is a very uh, strong in- indicator of how good your offensive is. After all, you want to be productive and score points. And then if you, I know a lot of you guys are old school and like to look at the total yards. They were also 120th nationally in total yards, only 327 and a half yards a game last year. So look at those numbers. You're like, how the hell can this be one of the top three teams we're facing this year? And if it is indeed one of the top three offenses we're facing this year, then we're going to go undefeated because that's a joke. But I, I think you have to look a little deeper than that because we know the first, you mentioned Jake Bentley, the quarterback, the guy who's going to be their quarterback this season. He didn't start the first half of the season. And the first half of the season, if you look at the splits here, they averaged th- just a hair over 300 yards a game before Jake Bentley was inserted as the starter, as the starting quarterback. 304 yards a game. Well, fast forward the rest of the season, once you insert him after our game, the first game after us is Massachusetts, and it's his first game as a starter. Well, in those last, I think it was eight games, they averaged a little over, right at about 340 yards a game. So it's about a 35, 40 yard a game difference with Jake Bentley, who was a true freshman last year, by the way, uh, as their quarterback the second half of the season. And on top of that, they only had uh, three games last year where they scored 400, or they put up 400 or more yards a game. All three of those games came in the second half of the season when Jake Bentley was a start. They had a 428 yard game, a 588 yard game, and a 481 yard game. So this is a guy that really kind of kickstarted that offense once he came in as a true freshman. You expect him to only take another step forward this year as the quarterback. You've got, like you mentioned, Brian Edwards at receiver, a, a guy who'd been a lot of plays from last year, didn't play the whole season, was hurt in some games, but you expect him to take another step forward. Debo Samuel is a guy that could potentially be a go to receiver for them, potential all SEC caliber type guy. So the guy you didn't mention too, Hayden Hurst. I mean, that dude, and I, I've said this a couple of times over the course of the summer. 
And I love our guys. Don't get me wrong. I love Isaac Nauta. I love Charlie Warner and the potential they bring to the table. And I like, I like, I like Jeb, Jeb Blazevich, too. I like what he does. Uh, he's, he's good for what he does. But for my money, based on what I saw last year, Hayden Hurst was, is the best returning tight end in the league. Am I off base in saying that? No, not at all. I mean, based on what he did last year, at least in terms of a, a receiving tight end, he, he was just deadly. He was deadly. He was really, I mean, he's a guy they put back to the return punt sometimes. And he's a little bit older, you know, he went to play minor league baseball and didn't work out, came back, I think he's like, what, 24, 25, something like that. But still, a really good football player and uh, a guy that can be uh, a, a safety net, basically, for Jake Bentley there at quarterback. And you got Rico Dowdell, who kind of started the second half of the season. He really came on it running back there. So this is a team that has some pieces offensively uh, at the skill position. Here's where I have some questions for them, and that's on their offensive line. Do you have any confidence level? I mean, their offensive line, Kurt, I, I, I think they were maybe worse than our offensive line last year, which is saying something. Do that, does that concern you for South Carolina coming into the season? No, I think that's going to be the same thing, but it's one of those things where they're not a true power running game attack, so they right. they try to you know work around it. And their offensive line did, like, their offensive line did not necessarily improve after Bentley came into the game uh, or was inserted as the starting quarterback, but – what you start to see is they like to run on things where they obviously with offensive line that's that bad they can't protect the quarterback. You want to get the ball out of the quarterback's hand very quickly, and Bentley was able to do that. They they, they called those plays. He was they ran they run a ton of RPOs, which a lot of teams do. A lot of the spread based teams run a ton of that stuff now. And why would you not? It's a major advantage when your offense can do that. It's tougher defenses to, to defend that. Uh, but they ran a lot of those plays, get the ball out of your hand, and for that to happen, the quarterback has to be decisive, has to know where to go with the football. And Bentley showed that that was the case for them. He was decisive. He knew where to go to the football the majority of the time. And he excelled those situations. So I think if they come in the season running those types of schemes, which I imagine they probably will, that might neutralize to a degree their inefficient, their, I would say deficiency, not inefficiency, their deficiencies along the offensive line. And their offensive line probably get a little bit better this year, marginally. Uh, but, but they were terrible last year. And that's the reason why I don't have them higher than number three. I think this is a team that has a lot of pieces at the skill positions. And I don't like to say that. I... I hate South Carolina. I, I probably hate them more than most Georgia fans. I've had some bad experiences down there uh, at games in Columbia. Um, just some nasty people, uh, which every fan base has them, but South Carolina seems to have more of them since they've never won anything in the history of their lives. Uh, no bitterness there. Uh, but, um, yeah, so I hate them. I don't want to say good things about them, but they've got some pieces offensively. Uh, they do, and I think this is a team that we're going to have to be prepared for. I don't like where this game falls. We talked about that when we uh, were looking at the toughest games on schedule a couple weeks ago. Falling in between Florida and Auburn, I don't like it. I just don't like it. Uh, I think we're a much better team than them. I do, but that doesn't always matter. So it's a pretty good offensive football team there. All right, now let's move on to the so – they, we had them at number four there. Uh, number three on our list is the Missouri Tigers. And, Kurt, this is one where you and I had a, a pretty significant divergence of opinion here. You had Missouri – as the number one offense on your list. So make the case for why Missouri should be number one. Um, while they were very inconsistent, I think it's the fact that, like we talked about, they had a 1,000-yard rusher, 1,000-yard receiver, and what, a 3,000-yard passer. I'm yeah, sure they're the only team in the SEC last year to have a 3,000-yard passer, 1,000-yard rusher, 1,000-yard receiver. You're right. Things like that, while they're very inconsistent, I mean, you put their name up top, I mean, they're a very inconsistent team, especially if you're going off last year. And I think you have a lot of those weapons returning from Missouri, and, uh, you know, year two under, you know, their new system technically, a new system yeah, type. Josh Heupel is offensive coordinator. 
Yeah. Exactly. So I think you're going to see them take another stride, you know, as they get more comfortable. And I mean, you're going to see Locke in his third year as a starter. And I think that if they could see them be a lot more consistent where they could put up some very big numbers. Okay. Do you really think Locke is going to take a big step in year three? What gives you any reason to believe that's going to happen? I don't think he's going to take a big step. I think he may be a little bit smarter. Like, look at the Georgia game, that interception that he threw, that uh, – uh, Malze intercepted, which yeah. ended up being a big thing. Yeah. That was, you know, that's a mistake you don't really expect to see from a third. Lock is an idiot. Starting quarterback. I mean, he's su- he's insanely talented, but I don't. I shouldn't say. I mean, that's strong. I don't want to be one of those shock jock kind of guys. But he's an idiot out there in the field. He does so many dumb things. I mean, the guy is a career fifty-two and a half percent completion. Or for, uh, he's well, his career completion percentage, I should say, is fifty-two and a half percent. He's a fifty-two percent passer for a career in two years. Now, I know as a freshman, he was thrown into a bad situation. He was under 50% as a freshman. But last year, he wasn't much better. He's just, I think it was like 54%. So this is a guy that has not been a very efficient passer. Is that going to change this year for them? Because I think it has to if this team is going to take a step and maybe get back to bowl eligibility. Do you see that happening? Um, like you said, I think it has to, and I think he is, is another thing. Situation like him, I mean, is is coming up to his money years. If he wants to go pro, yeah. he has to be a lot more accurate. And he's got what it takes skill wise. He does. I mean, he he's got a big body. He's got a really good arm, and that ball just—I mean—he just smokes it out of his hand. Just flies out of his hand. I mean, watching him in person last year uh, at in Columbia, dude. That I mean. He was just ripping us apart in the first half, just destroying. And the ball was just effortlessly coming out of his hands in a perfect spiral on the money. So he can do it. He's shown that. Like, but like you said, with like the Maugier interception, and that's just one incident there. I mean, you can look at game after game after game and see him make those decisions. And I just, I don't understand it with him. I know he's still, he's still a young guy, but he, he looks, he looks, he looks the part. But from the neck up. I, I don't know. He hasn't shown that he has it from the neck up to this point. Doesn't mean he won't, you know, show that he has it. Doesn't mean the light won't click and it goes on in his head. Maybe it will. I just haven't seen it from him. So that's why I can't have them even anywhere near number one. What did I have them at? I think I had them, my individualist, I had them at number four because they are explosive. And they can just, I mean, they can just blitzkrieg you at any given moment. If you look at their numbers from last year, this is weird. It's a weird situation. So they were, if you look at the old school number, and a lot of people still like to look at this, and it gives you an idea. In terms of uh, total offense, like total yards, they were 16th nationally at 482.5 yards a game. That's pretty. That's really damn good. But here's where it's crazy. So that's how good they were in, in putting up yards. But they weren't near as good in putting up points. 16th nationally in, in uh, yards per game, but they were 90th nationally in points per play, which is not good. That's not good at all. So how do you reconcile that, Chris? So this is a team that's putting up yards, but they're not scoring points. What was going on with them last year? I mean, exactly kind of like we said, Locke and them had a lot of mistakes. Like that one from Isaiah, I mean, they were driving down the field. I mean, he just yeah. isn't the smartest quarterback, makes a lot of dumb mistakes. Yeah, look at these. And listen to these. So I, here's a, and I think you're right. That's a big part of it. Uh, here's another thing I think is, this is just crazy, man. So, again, 16th nationally last year in yards per game, 482 yards per game. 90th nationally last year in points per play, which I think is a, a very indicative stat of your offensive's prowess. Uh, but here, and here's where I think, here's what I think explains that their red zone offense last year was about as bad as it can get. And I mean that literally. They were 127th nationally last year. There's 128 teams in FBS. They were almost dead last in red zone scoring. They only scored 60 
69% of the time they got in the red zone. And that's not saying they only scored touchdowns 69% of the time. That's saying they scored anything, field goals, touchdowns, scored at all, only 69% of the time they got in the red zone. I can't, I really can't explain that. The only thing that explains that is turnovers. Really, that's the only thing. Either that or just an, an atrocious place kicker. They didn't have the best place kicker in the world, but he wasn't that bad. Bottom line was they just turned the ball over too much, and Drew Locke was a part of that. So I know that's, for me, why I don't have them at number one. But I, I do see what you're saying. If it clicks for them, this offense could be scary good, right? Yeah, I think they could be better than uh, Notre Dame, honestly. If it clicks. If, have, if, if it clicks for Drew Locke. Back, yeah, it, well, I don't know. We, I don't, Talent-wise. But do we know that? Because we haven't really seen Brandon Wimbush. Well, I think the fact that the experience of reading defenses has to give you an edge over someone. But how well has he done actually reading defenses? I mean, 52% completion. Well, I, I, but you're also talking about a guy who hasn't read any defenses in a game time experience. Yeah, you're right. But you're, I mean, you're right. He hasn't read any, but, but it's hard for me to say he can't do it until I see it. He maybe, he, you're, you're right. Maybe he can't do it. He probably, I say it's probably more likely that he, he needs some time. But until we see it, I just don't know. I don't but they have players. I'm like Jamon Moore, right receiver, over a thousand yards last year. Demarie Crockett, thousand yard rusher last year. They have some guys. Uh, but and, and Lockett, Lock can be as good as any quarterback on our roster. Hell, he could be as good as any quarterback in the country, I believe, if he just puts it all together from the neck up. Is that fair though? I mean, that's fair. I agree. Yeah, he's just got to put it together. They, they could. I mean, they were an explosive offense last year. They were 33rd national last year in ISO PPP, which is basically a, a stat that. Shows how explosive your offense was last year. It's an advanced stat that I like to look at. So they were explosive offense. They put up a lot of yards, but just didn't put up a ton of points. So they were terrible in the red zone because they turned the ball over and the quarterback doesn't make the best decisions with the football. So if that changes for them, which it could, I mean, it's very it's very feasible to see Drew Lott take a big jump in year three. Um, but I just, I'm, I, I, I'm not a believer in Drew Lott fully until I see it. I've seen moments, but I need to see it more consistently out of him. Although I will say this, that game does scare me at home. Because I mean, that, I I'll, I'll admit it, guys. Because if like we said, if if everything's clicking on any given day, if it's clicking for them like it was in the first half against us last year, that team could beat us. Absolutely, if it's clicking for them. I just hope it's not. Hopefully. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and move on here. So that was our number three team on our combined list of the scariest offenses we're facing 2017, which leaves us with our top two. Uh, I think you guys probably can figure out where we're going from here. Uh, Notre Dame was going to be number four in our list, but uh, Kurt forgot about them somehow. It's okay. It's all good. But uh, with a little readjustment there, we're going to have the Notre Dame Fighting Irish coming in at number two on our list. So I had them as my number one offense in my individual list. You kind of readjusted there and put them at number two late in the game. So what are you seeing in Notre Dame that has them so high on your list, even though you forgot about them? I think just the weapons that they have, I mean – while Notre Dame has not been as high recruiting as some people lately, they still always recruit highly at the skill position. And they they have do they have players in the trend? They have players at the skill positions. They do. I mean, we talked about them and with they this. Also, have very experienced offensive line yeah. coming back. That's that's honestly, I love. I I should say I love their skill positions. Scare me. Equinemius St. Brown at wide receiver. I mean, I'm having nightmares right now. What two months before the game about that about covering him about that matchup because I. With our corners right now, the lack of size that they have, that's a scary match of a guy that's 6'5 and can leap and can burn you. I, he just scares me. And he's not the only guy they have like that out there. Uh, they also have uh, Alizé Mack coming back at tight end. It's, it's going to be a matchup problem. Although I like what we have uh, with Roquan Smith there. Hopefully he can match up with him in space. We'll see, uh, hopefully. 
Uh, but they have weapons out there. Josh Adams is a good back. He's not a great back, but he's good enough. Um, but like you just mentioned there, to me, the reason I had them number one is because I am still a believer that football is won in the trenches. Yes, those shiny players out wide on the perimeter can help you win. Absolutely they can. But nothing's going to happen if you don't win the trenches. If, you get, if you're consistently getting beat in the trenches, you're not going to win football games. And Notre Dame, I think, has likely the best offensive line that we're going to face this year. You have Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson on the left side there, guys. Two guys that could have gone and were expected to go pro last year. Probably would have been drafted in the late first round, but they came back for their senior seasons. They're only replacing one star of the offensive line. Uh, so this is an offensive line that, man, they, they're going to hold their own against us. And I, I think we're going to be fine against them up front. I, I think our defensive line is good enough. But this is a team that has a really good offensive line. And if you have a really good offensive line, you can you think you have a, at least an average chance to run the football. Should be able to protect the quarterback. It's going to be interesting. So it's going to give them a chance in most games they play. But I, I had them at number one. You weren't quite ready to take that step. So what is it about Notre Dame that kept you from putting them in that number one spot? I mean, you're talking about Drew Locke. Like, how do we not know about what's going to happen with him? Well, we have no idea what their quarterback play is going to be like. Yeah. And that, and that's and fair. I mean, that question mark's a real big thing. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, it's going to be Brandon Wimbush. We know that, right? It's going yeah. to be Brandon Wimbush. But how good he is, what kind of player he's going to be, we don't know. Now, he was highly rated. He was a top 50 guy coming out of high school, but that was, what, three years ago. Um, and he's seen some spot duty here and there, but nothing significant. He's a guy that reportedly is a dual-threat guy. Um, not in the vein of a Cam Newton, Nick Marshall kind of guy from years past, but a guy that's maybe similar to Sean Kaiser, the guy he's replacing, who's functionally mobile back there. He can pick up first downs on third and long situations. If you don't pay attention pay attention to him, you go man coverage, turn your back to him, he can pick up a first down there. It's a guy that can do some things. You run some quarterback draws with him, but he's not going to be um, a killer necessarily with his legs, but he, he can pose a threat to you. But you're right, we don't know. What are, you, what are your expectations for Brandon Wimbush? We don't know, but what are you expecting from him? Um, I think he's, it's going to be open for him. I mean, like you say, he's got skills, skill players and a good offensive line. I mean, I doubt it, it won't be anything like what Jacob Eason had to go through last year. I just – here's the thing. I got, I, I'm not sure how good Deshaun Kaiser was last year. Like, I know he's, he has to replace Deshaun Kaiser. Deshaun Kaiser was drafted in the second well, yeah, round. Deshaun Kaiser wasn't – I mean, they gave it pretty much – it was – I mean, Deshaun Kaiser never fully established himself as the true guy. As the true guy in his last year, I mean, they tried well, he beat, to he beat out. He, he did beat out Malik Zaire, right? Well, yeah, but he, during the season, they tried to give Zaire some chances just, because yeah. Kaiser wasn't doing anything to truly solidify himself. And Zaire, and Zaire was just terrible. If any good, he might have gotten the chance. Yeah, but Zaire just wet the bed when he got in there. Good luck, Florida, by the way. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. So Kaiser, I mean, he was a 58% passer last year. He completed 58.7% of his passes. Threw for under 3,000 yards last year. So, I mean, while Kaiser was good and he had his moments and he showed flashes of like, okay, yeah, this guy could be a high draft pick. I don't think he was a stud, was he? No. I don't think he was at all. So, I know we don't know what we have, what they have in Brandon Wimbush. And there's a chance he could be worse than Kaiser. But I thought also, isn't there a chance he could be better than Kaiser? Because Kaiser wasn't a stud last year. I mean, isn't there at least a chance that could happen? I mean, there's always a chance anything can happen, but I also think that he would have gotten more legitimate shots yeah. and opportunities if right. he had been ready. Yeah, that, and that's and that's where you have to go with that next. You're exactly, that's the logical next step is, okay, if Wimbush was better than Kaiser, then why wasn't he playing last year? Right? I mean, that makes sense. 
Uh, I, I'll say this. I don't think there's going to be much of a drop-off. I think he'll put up very similar numbers to, to what Kaiser did last year. I think you're going to see somewhere between 57 and 60% completion percentage out of Wimbush. I'm just, you know, we don't know. But if I had to predict right now, I think you're going to see something similar to that right around the 3,000-yard mark. A guy that's mobile-ish like Kaiser. Um, but I don't think he's going to be a trainer. I don't think he's going to be a disaster. I think he's going to be solid-ish for them, right? Is that fair? And if if he is, if he is, with that offensive line, with a veteran running back coming back, with weapons out wide and at tight end. I think you also have to talk about the coach, though, too. I mean, he doesn't always put his players in the best position to be successful. And they do have a new offensive coordinator coming in from Memphis and Chip Long. So that's going to be Yeah, but I, I, I honestly, it's the same when it comes to Auburn. I don't know how much control they'll give away right away. Well, yeah, and that's fair. Um, and also, it, it bears mentioning that Chip Long's offense and Brian Kelly's offense, they align fairly well. Like, there's not a dramatic difference between those two. It's not like they're going from a pro-style, Stanford-style offense to all of a sudden let's spread out and go up-tempo, run 120 plays a game. They're not doing that. It's, it's going to be a very similar ideology in terms of what they want to do offensively. They have a different guy essentially calling the plays. So there might be a little bit of a, an adjustment there. Um, we, so we don't 100% know. There's always uncertainty when you're going into the season. You don't know for sure. You're just trying to make some sort of projection based on what you've seen in the past, what they did uh, last year, so on and so forth, and make a projection forward. So I don't know. Like I, I'm not like sitting here dead set on saying Notre Dame is 100% number one. They've got to be. There's no other team that can be up there. I mean, there can be arguments made for other teams in terms of the best offense that we're going to face this year. But Notre Dame scares me offensively. They really do. And they were good offensive last year. I know that last year they were 4-8 and eight overall. But the offense wasn't the problem. The defense was a train wreck. Offensively, uh, they were 39th nationally in points per play. And they were 62nd nationally in uh, yards per game. 42nd nationally in explosive plays. And that ranks, I mean, that stacks up pretty well with the other offenses we're facing. In fact, if you look at it, that's probably the most consistent offense outside of maybe Missouri. Missouri was better between the 20s than any team that we played last year offensively, but Notre, but they were terrible inside the red zone. Notre Dame was pretty consistent across the board, more so than pretty much anyone else on our uh, schedule co- coming into this year in terms of their offensive football teams. All right, so that leaves us with our number one team in the combined Glory UGA rings, the scariest offenses that we're going to be forced to defend in the coming 2017 season. You guys probably figured this out. That is going to be the Auburn Tigers. All right, uh, and this is a team card that neither one of us had at number one on our individual rankings, uh, but we both had them high up there. I had them at number two. You ended up having them at number three when it all came out, which allowed them to just barely edge out Missouri. All right, and just actually, well, now just edge out, barely edge out Notre Dame by one point when you adjusted your rankings there. After remembering that we do actually play Notre Dame this year, uh, we uh, just mess with you, man. But uh, yeah, so they edged out Notre Dame by one point. So this is a team in Auburn, and I, and I know this is controversial among Georgia fans. A lot of Georgia fans don't want to buy into Auburn, and I get that. Like, I'm not sure I'm completely bought into them, but we're going to talk about it. So this is a team with a new quarterback, new offensive coordinator, and Chip Lindsey coming in from Arizona State. Where does your confidence in this team stem from? And this offense, I should say. Just the recruiting they have. I mean, that one year, two years ago, they get Kyle Davis and uh, Nate Craig Myers both in a recruiting class. I mean, they have very, very yeah. deep receiving core. And, uh, guys, we wanted very... Kyle Davis. I mean, we can say we didn't, but we did. Okay. Yeah, we, we I mean, they have a heavy. very deep and dangerous receiving core. Uh, and then also to go along with that, you have Petway back. I mean, that right there is a recipe to make almost any offense successful and dangerous. 
Absolutely, man. And look, this is a team, like, I go back and forth on them because I could see a scenario where they're only okay offensively, but I could also see a scenario where they are freaking deadly. Is, is that kind of where you are with them? Yeah, I think they're, it's a, I think it's either going to be average or really good. Yeah, and to me, and I've said this before over the course of the summer, so if you've heard this before, I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it again for those of you who might not have heard this. I think it all comes down to how much control is Gus Malzahn willing to cede to new offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey in terms of who's going to have the ability to run this offense and call the plays. Is Gus Malzahn still going to have his fingers in the cookie jar? Is he still going to have his fingerprints all over this offense? Or is he really bringing Chip Lindsey in and giving him free control over this offense? That's the question. Because with Jarrett Stidham, and I know he he's kind of a lightning rod here. There's a lot of people that are all, all, all aboard the Jarrett Stidham train out there in the national media. And uh, there's a lot of people that they're saying, whoa, whoa, hold your horses here, man. We've seen this story before with Auburn with Jeremy Johnson. And they're kind of seeing Jarek Sim as a potential Jeremy Johnson 2.0. So, and I see both sides. But it, to me, it comes down, again, how much control is going to be given to Chip Lindsey. Because if he's allowed to implement his offense, and I know he's spent some time during their national championship run, uh, or the run of the national championship under Gus Malzahn as an offensive analyst for them. So he's got some things that he's taken from Gus Malzahn, but he is a guy, Chip Lindsay, is an offensive coordinator at Arizona State and at Southern Miss, who likes to spread the field and throw the ball vertically down the field, which is not something that Auburn does a lot of, or they have done a lot of under Gus Malzahn. They'll take their shots with that little whirly, whirly bird, I don't even know what you call it, play action. It's like a triple play action, which is so obvious when it's coming. It's the most obvious play in the world. And they take a deep shot down the field off play action. That's about the only time they really throw the ball deep, or they have under a Malzahn. They just don't do it much at all. But that's very different with Chip Lindsey. And that is what Jarrett Stidham does well. He is a deep ball passer. He's deadly accurate down the field. He's got a great arm. And I know he was throwing against the two number two defense, sometimes number three defense in the, in their uh, spring game. But dude. That's not the only time I've seen him do that. That is his game. Now, he's not the most mobile guy in the world. So that's why I say if you have the traditional Gus Malzahn offense, which in my opinion is highly dependent upon a guy at quarterback that can run the football, then they're going to be average offensively because Stim is good enough to do some things well for them, but he's not good enough to be that kind of quarterback. It'll be a mismatched offense kind of like it was with Jeremy Johnson. But if they allow Chip Lindsey to run his scheme and run his system, then Jarrett Stidham is going to be a baller. And that, that's, that's just what I see right now. So I, I don't know what it's going to be. I can't sit here and say it's going to be this, it's going to be that. I'm just saying it depends on what they do, right? So how, how do you – are you with me on that or are you, are you, are yeah, you saying it a little differently? I mean, what, what, how do you see Stidham? Are, are you on the Stidham train? Is he's a guy that's going to be a potential all-SCC caliber player or is he just going to be I think okay? He's potential, but the thing is he's not there. He is very similar. I think he's got a better skill set, but he is a very similar quarterback to Jeremy Johnson. I mean, he's not, he's not mobile. I mean, he's well, an he's, average mobile. I, he's not Connor Shaw mobile for what he is. He's not Connor Shaw mobile. No, I think Connor Shaw is more mobile than him. I don't know, man. Go watch Baylor I, when he was. He started a couple games for them, and it, yeah, but Baylor also ran a completely different offense where they just spread every single thing out. Where Auburn still right. tries to run the power attack. Right. Well, that's what I say. It comes down to Chip, Chip Lindsey because there's a lot. There's a lot more similarities between Chip Lindsey's offense, what he's run the past couple years at Arizona State and Southern Miss. There's a lot more similarities there with them and what Art Briles ran at Baylor than there and is see, between. I don't see. That's where I don't see Malzahn getting away from his, his his what his philosophy that much is because he they that takes away their power run attack, which is someone like that way you don't want. Yeah, and that's and that's another part of the equation here. Like, okay, so if you're, you're right, so you have Campetway who is a power runner. He he's just a, a bowling ball. 
So how does he meld with that system? So if, if you allow Chip Lindsay to come in and run his system, what does that do to Ken Petway? Is he going to be as effective? I don't. I, I wouldn't think so. Would you? No. Well, okay, so so what's the alternative there? So if he's not going to be as effective in that system, do you kind of stick more so with what Gus Malzahn's done traditionally, or do you try yeah, to that's have... Why I always say I really don't believe Gus Malzahn's fully going to hand over the controls this year because that's just not who he is. I mean, he's, he's known to be an offensive mastermind. He was forced to... I mean, it, even when he gave it up last year, it was just someone that he had worked with for a long, long time who ran his system more or less. Yeah, it, it was Malzahn's system. I mean, Rhett Lashley was with him since he played for Malzahn in high school. I mean, he was a Malzahn, a complete Malzahn disciple. I mean, it was Malzahn's offense completely. There were a few minor little tweaks in there, but I mean, it was nuts and bolts, Malzahn's offense. Uh, is, is it possible or maybe even more likely to see a, a, a marriage of the two offenses, like a, a merging of what Malzahn's done and what Chip Lindsay's done? I mean, you could say so, but I, the thing about Malzahn is he tries to keep it so simple to his team that... Which which has its merits. Like that's how that's how you can go, run tempo is you have to keep it simple. But I, it, there's some, unless you, really in my opinion, unless you have a a guy that is an absolute deadly threat with his legs, a la Cam Newton, a la Nick Marshall, that offense just doesn't work like it should. I mean, you can be okay with it, like they were last year at times when you had um, Cam Petway just bowling over teams, but. It just doesn't run at its optimal level if they don't have that. So I, I think what we're likely going to see is some marriage of the two, a, a mutt version of Malzahn and Lindsay's offense. But if you see that, how good is that going to be? Because I, I don't know. I, I'm sure they're going to try to figure out ways to kind of play to their personnel based on both of their different schemes, Can kind of keep that power running game that Malzahn's had, but also kind of take shots down the field with, with Lindsay's traditional system, but I, I'll still come back to this. Okay, one of the reasons that Cam Petway and Auburn running backs have been effective under Malzahn is because the quarterback's always been a threat, and that backside rusher has been held by the zone read. That backside rusher cannot crash down, so you're basically having a complete numbers advantage in the box there. And yes, Cam Petway's a good back, but when there's one less defender that he has to he has to worry about, he's that much better. So is that going to be the case this year? If you have Jared Stidham, are you going to be able to hold that backside end? Or that whoever that last guy on the line of scrimmage is? I don't know. There's a lot up in the air. But I'll say this. If everything clicks for Auburn, because it kind of sounds like we're talking ourselves out of Auburn at number one here. If it clicks for them, they have, I think, more potential than any offense on our schedule. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Even more than Missouri? Because I know you're high on Missouri. So let's say it it clicks for Auburn and it clicks for Missouri. Which one would be more scary for you? Probably Auburn because they have a deeper wide receiver core. Yeah, and I and like Demario Crockett's good, but Cam Petway's better, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Skill wise, I mean, they, they, they have, just have all, more players. Missouri has a, a good, you know, top guy at each position where Auburn's a little bit deeper. Yeah, they're deeper. They're they're I think they have a better offensive line, but receiver wise, they are. Yeah, and while I think Drew Locke is a guy that could be really, really good, I think he could be one of the best guys in the nation. I, I think the same with Jarek Stidham if it, if if he's a fit for this system. I don't know. I don't know if he will be. So I, I can't say or predict what he's going to do. But if it clicks for them, he could be as good as anybody in the country. Just like if it clicks for Missouri, Drew Locke could be as good as anybody in the country. I, but I'm with you. I think if everything clicks for – let's say every, let's say everything clicks for every team on our schedule, I think that Auburn has the most weapons and would be the scariest office to face if everything is clicking for everybody. I think they would be the toughest team that we have to face. They have the highest ceiling. They have the most potential. 
So that's why I'm going with Auburn as number one. Again, we don't know, and I, and I totally respect it if you guys disagree with us there. I, I understand why you would, because there's no guarantee that's going to click. There's no guarantee at all. We have to see it on the field. But you can say that about a lot of these teams. So we definitely love to get your guys' opinion on this. So check out our Twitter feed, at Glory underscore UJ. We're going to have a poll running, let you guys have your voice and have your say on which offense you think is going to be the toughest offense for us to face in this 2017 season. But that's it for today's show, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed our pre-July 4th edition here. Enjoy the 4th of July. Go have some fun with the family. Do some fun stuff. uh, Have a few drinks. Have some good food. Have a good time. And check back with us later this week on Thursday. We'll have the next edition of our Scouting the Enemy series, this time breaking down the Tennessee Volunteers and how we match up with them when we will head to Knoxville in late September. But from Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, guys, we appreciate it, and go dogs.